Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, May 23rd, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only working from my home studio in New York. Sarah Abbott's working from Bristol. Taylor Schwink is working in his new home studio in the foothills of Connecticut. Thinking about Maryland, Taylor, because it was a big weekend for your Orioles. Oh yeah, Buster. Finally, the day arrived. Adley Rutschman, the number one prospect in baseball, makes his Camden Yard major league debut, and it was spectacular. And of course, because he is the guy, he showed up. Side note real quick, Mike Elias, we want to see Grayson Rodriguez ASAP. We're going to stay on you about that one. But my guy, Adley Rutschman, performed. 2-2. Rutschman, a drive out to right field. This one heading down. It's a fair ball! He's going to go to third. Adley Rutschman, welcome to the big leagues. A stand-up triple. Can you believe it? Yeah, Taylor, it wasn't a big crowd at Camden Yards. Just under 18,000, I think. But, man, they showed you could hear the excitement of Oriole fans on that hit. I mean, the, the, we're, we're desperate for something good, man. A series win, too, this weekend over the Tampa Bay Rays. So I, I had a friend text me this morning. He's like, I'm going to bet on him to make the wild card. I would not go that far. But no. uh, you know, exciting times <laughs> in Birdland, at least for the moment. Now, it was absolutely cool stuff there. We'll be talking about Adley Rutschman as we move forward here. Speaking of Orioles or ex-Orioles, Manny Machado is red hot. First pitch coming, and Manny lines it to left field. Ruff charging in on the run, dives forward. Can't make the catch, and it gets behind him. Azokar's going to score easily. Behind him, Cronenworth is rounding third. Jake's on his way. He will score. And Manny standing at second with two more runs in. Five to nothing, Padres in the fourth. That from 97.3, the fan, the Padres win 10-1. to At the end of the weekend, Manny Machado batting 374, 58 hits, 446 on base percentage, a 619 slugging percentage. Remember last weekend when future Hall of Famer Albert Pujols pitched? Well, yesterday, another future Hall of Famer took the mound for the Cardinals. 2,172 games, 8,376 plate appearances, and for the first time, Yadier Molina is on a major league mound, Jim. And then you get Albert Pujols to warm you up. Look, there's his first pitch. <laughs> uh, that might have been on purpose. He uh, was ball don't know if he was loose yet. Yeah. Looks like he's got turfs on still. How about this? Yeah, he's pitching in tennis shoes. Looks like. No, no, maybe not. Yeah, I think there's a little cleat on the bottom there. He's getting it and throwing it, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, it's just like watching Wade Miley. He's doing it. 39 years old. And his walk first major league walk might be in the offing here. Three I love two. the windup. Second base <laughs> on a line. He got his first out. Oh, yeah. He came, He's coming he came set fully to make sure. Yeah. This is not going to be a double play, I don't believe. They'll just get the one out on the nifty flip. Terrible. The news wasn't all good for the Cardinals. Of course, one on Sunday. Steven Matz left the mound after four pitches because of shoulder tightness. The Ones Who Get It Done is brought to you by Granger. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry backed by 24-7 support and access to product specialists. Call, click Granger.com, or stop by. The Red Sox offense has been getting it done. Trevor Story's had some big days recently. And on Sunday, a slugger broke a four-all tie. Here's the pitch. Swinging a high drive in a right field. Moore back at the track at the wall. Gone! A walk-off game-winning grand slam for Franchi Cordero. And the Red Sox win it 8-4. They sweep the Mariners in this four-game series. Franchi is the hero. That sound from WEI 93.7. So the Red Sox surging forward. Today, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred is expected to issue discipline following what happened at Yankee Stadium over the weekend. On Saturday, there were multiple bench-clearing incidents between the Yankees and White Sox after the Yankees' Josh Donaldson said something to Chicago shortstop Tim Anderson. After the game, White Sox manager Tony La Russa spoke with reporters. You made a racist comment, Donaldson, and that's all I'm going to say. That's pretty strong. 
That's as strong as it gets. Is that in the third inning? The first inning? I, I, you may say that's all I'm going to say. What that means, that's all I'm going to say. Here's what Tim Anderson said Saturday. Yeah, he just made a you know disrespectful comment. You know, basically, was, you know, trying to call me Jackie Robinson. Like, what's up, Jackie? I don't play like that. I don't really play at all. I wasn't really you know bothering nobody today, but uh, you know, he made a comment and uh, you know it was, it was disrespectful. I don't think it was called for. It was unnecessary. That was when you guys crossed past the shortstop there into the third. Okay. Yeah, but that happened in the first. First time he got on, you know, and I spared him that time. Uh, and it happened again. You know, it's just uncalled for. You know, it's not. You know, I got time to you know be playing like that. How did you manage to contain yourself that kind of comment? Uh, I don't know. To be honest, <laughs> you know, it was very disrespectful. You know, you don't want to play like that. You call it disrespectful. Tony just said it was racist. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. same, same, same along, along that same line. Yeah. Can you say what he said? You said what? Can you say what, what he said? I just said it. Here's what Josh Donaldson said. First inning, I called him Jackie. Let me give you a little context of that. 2019, he came out with an interview and said that he's a new Jackie Robinson of baseball. He's going to bring back fun for the game. 2019, when I played for Atlanta, we actually joked about that on the game. And I've said it to him in years past. Not in any manner than just joking around for the fact that he called himself Jackie Robinson. If something has changed from that, my meaning of that is not any term trying to be racist by any fact of the matter. It was just off of an interview that what he called himself. We said that before we joked about it he laughed whatever as you could tell in our series that we played there's been multiple times where i've tried to defuse the situation like i, I took responsibility for the tag wasn't trying to do anything there today just trying to defuse it like hey like make light like we're not trying to start any brawls or anything like that obviously he deemed that it was disrespectful and if he did i apologize like that's not what i was trying to do by any manner on sunday before the yankees and white sox played a double header White Sox reliever Liam Hendricks responded to Donaldson's comments saying, usually you have inside jokes with people you get along with, not people who don't get along at all. So that statement right there was complete BS. Donaldson played in game one of the doubleheader while Anderson sat out. In game two, Donaldson was out of the Yankees lineup and Anderson played and was booed heavily by fans when he was introduced for his first plate appearance. I asked Tony LaRusso about what Anderson was coping with in a situation that was put upon him, and LaRusso was angry. So this is your second year as Tim Anderson's manager. The last 31 hours, how do you see him coping with what's put upon him? Well, I'm surprised people are booing. I mean, the blame is on the other side. It's not him. This guy is so special. He, he represents everything that you want in a ball player professionally. Personally, he's very proud of his heritage. And the more people see him and get to know him, he's a superstar. Tony, thanks. Anderson already had two singles when he came to the plate with two runners on base in the eighth inning. Swing and a high fly ball, right field. That one back, that one on its way, and it's gone. Tim Anderson the opposite way. It's a three-run homer over the short wall in right. And for Anderson, he gives the White Sox a 5-0 lead. That was Boog Shambi on ESPN Radio. After the game, Michael Kopech, who pitched brilliantly, carrying a perfect game into the sixth, spoke about Tim Anderson in his conversation with John Anderson. And joining us now, after the post-game uh, festivities, pre-game, or excuse me, the uh, pre-clubhouse spread, is Michael Kopech. Michael, this was uh, a career outing for you. Into the seventh inning, only allowed the hit, uh, finish up there. Just what was better tonight? Why were you so good? Um, to be honest, I don't know if there was one specific thing. Um, I think I was just a little more well-rounded today. I, I was able to throw my slider for strikes. I was able to throw my curveball for strikes, and I was able to get ahead in the count with the fastball. So just having all three of those working definitely plays a part. Because uh, last time... Uh, it was back-to-back outings for me against the Yankees, and the last one I didn't have all my stuff working. It was more of a grind game. Um, today was one of those that was a lot more fun. Yeah, last game against the Yankees, you got the last 13. Here you got the first 14. So that was 27 guys in a row, and you were perfect. I, I feel like there's a golf analogy oh, nice. here. When you go ahead and you hit it so well, and you're like, how did I do that? And I try to remember that. Is there anything that you, you felt the last couple of times out that you can take with us moving forward? Um, I don't know if it's a physical thing necessarily, but I, I was able to focus a lot more, um, you know, especially today, but with the last half of that last game uh, against them as well. Um, you know, I've I just really been preaching to myself um, to just be where my feet are. 
and today I felt like I was able to do that for an extended period of time, so I felt really good. Obviously, uh, all kinds of stuff yesterday that you and the Yankees and the team were dealing with. How did you all get together and kind of center yourself to play baseball today? Um, well, I think we all know the, well, at least in our clubhouse, we all know the character that Tim has. And um, when you see a guy kind of trying to get under his skin like that, then we, we kind of pour together as a family, and I think we did that. And um, to see Tim hush the crowd tonight with that home run after they were showing a little bit of a less than class, I'll say, um, that was a lot of fun for him. That was a lot of fun for us. And I know we've been rallying behind that guy for years now, and nothing's going to change. He hits the big home run. You come out, it's still 0-0. What were those last two innings like for you, sitting there on a career performance, thinking, I, I might not got a win on this? Um, to be honest, I'm not really worried about getting wins right now. I'm just worried about the team winning. Um, when the team wins, we all have fun, and that's what it's really all about. Um, and the more of those we can add up, the better we're going to do, you know, get close to October. All right, let's talk winning. Your team hasn't been more than a game above or below 500 the last 17 days. It doesn't feel like you guys are just an average bunch, but what gives that we can't seem to string anything together here? Um, I think sometimes that's part of it. Like, that never, not everything comes together at the same time. Um, but we've seen flashes of greatness all across the field from various players. Um, and the fact that we haven't been playing our best ball and we've still been at 500, I think, speaks a lot. Um, so when everything does start clicking and it does start all to come together, I think it's going to be a lot of fun for everybody. You know, it's been fun for us. Michael Kopeck, thanks for spending a couple minutes with us. We'll let you get in the clubhouse, let you get packed. I know you got to get back to Chicago series with the Red Sox and the Cubs coming up. Thanks. Thank you very much. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Jeff Passon covers baseball for ESPN. Jeff, how you doing? Good Monday morning, Buster Only. I'm doing great. There's a lot to get to today. <laughs> there is. It's, yeah, yesterday, it, it, I, you know, I, I have... I like I have noticed this feels like a much busier May than usual. Maybe it's prisoner of the moment stuff, but there's a lot going on in baseball right now. And we haven't even gotten to trade season yet. Man, you're right about that. I, I was texting my son yesterday and he said, you know, how you doing? And I'm like, I, I you know, told him because I'm in Yankee Stadium and you had the you know, the rain out on Friday, so you get the doubleheader on Sunday, and you're not, we're not sure if we're going to be part of baseball tonight or, you know, when, when we're going to break away. <laughs> and there were just so many moving parts in all the phone calls around the situation with Tim Anderson and jo uh, Josh Donaldson, just so many moving parts. And, and it wasn't until I got home late at night, or like, oh, yeah, I want to see who won all these games today <laughs> to catch up. So I, I felt the same way. Like, Okay, I'm drinking out of a fire hose. Um, I would expect the decision, uh, Josh Donaldson, on his discipline will come down today. And I don't think there's any question he's going to be disciplined in some form or fashion. What are we looking for? Well, you said it on SportsCenter earlier today, Buster. Rob Manfred has a decision to make. And that decision is, is this going to be uh, a veritable slap on the wrist, a, a cursory fine, you know, one or two games, or is he going to try and send a message and go three to five games, maybe even more than that? And 
I, I don't think it's a particularly difficult decision. Um, I think five years ago in a different social climate, it is, it, it's easy. He gets a game and he moves on. But I think with all the time, energy, and effort Major League Baseball has ostensibly tried to spend showing that it can be a progressive thinking sport and having Black Lives Matter uh, on the field in 2020 on that opening day and doing the things that they do. And more than anything, trying to change its reputation as a sport that is not inviting to Black players uh, I think Josh Donaldson in this situation with what he said is probably going to aware a, a more significant suspension than uh, than we would have seen in years past. And in all likelihood, he is going to appeal it. And if he appeals it because of precedent, there's a chance that it gets knocked down. Uh, but, but that to me is why a longer suspension is likelier here. If Rob Manfred gets to send the message that Major League Baseball really cares about this and then an arbitrator knocks it down. Well, at least the message was attempted to be sent. And I got to say that one of the things I think Rob should think about is uh, what Tim Anderson experienced Saturday into Sunday. Yes. Uh, you oh. know, he, okay, this, this happens on the field. And you could see his anger brewing uh, during the course of the game on Saturday. And because of what Josh Donaldson said, um, after the game, you know, Tim Anderson is answering questions surrounded by reporters, uh, you know, talking about you know, the history uh, that he and Josh Donaldson had, what Josh Donaldson had said, you know, starting back in 2019. He sits out the first game of the doubleheader yesterday. And what I heard from folks with the White Sox was he was really bummed. Like Tim Anderson was really down. Uh, and, and, you know, and during the course of the game on Sunday night, I don't know if you noticed this, I did. Uh, he, a couple of times during the game, the cameras were focused on him during the dugout as our group was talking about what had happened on Saturday. And Tim Anderson was waving the cameraman like, can you put it on the field? I don't, I don't want to be in the center of this, right? Uh, and then after the game, SportsCenter wanted to talk to Tim, but he knew what the conversation was going to be about. And he gave a shake of the head and grabbed his bat and walked downstairs. And instead, uh, they talked to Michael Kopech. I, I, I remember talking with our, our colleague, Claire Smith, about this. And she related some incidents that happened with her. She's African-American uh, as a reporter in the 1980s and 90s. And she told me, she, you know, I was just sick of it. Why do I have to deal with this? And I think that's something that Rob needs to think about. I think beyond that, when you go to the stadium a day after something happens like this, uh, a day after you're feeling not just down, but almost singled out in a sport where you already feel singled out, and then the crowd starts chanting Jackie at you the way that some of the people did on Sunday at Yankee Stadium. I thought that was abhorrent, and I, I, I thought it was... Uh, looking at the situation, I, you know, they're not going to because we're dealing with sports fans here and we're dealing with a particular segment of sports fans in New York that can be absolutely unrelenting. I wish Tim Anderson had gotten a round of applause. I, I wish there had been some sort of support in place for him to say, uh, not only are you accepted in this sport, but we want young boys and young girls who share your skin color to feel safe playing it and to feel included and to feel a part of it as opposed to somebody who's an other. And that was the, the miracle of Jackie Robinson, that he was considered by the sport an other, and he became a fundamental part of the fabric of the game. Um, the, the idea that, you know, 75 years later, Tim Anderson is feeling excluded, uh, not just because of the words of a fellow player, but because of the actions of fans involved in the wake of this whole thing uh, makes it just a, a sad tale and something that frankly reflects incredibly poorly on the sport of baseball. Very well put. Um, I was utterly shocked that yesterday Josh Donaldson didn't hold some sort of a press conference at one o'clock, two hours before the doubleheader started 
to meet with reporters and say, you know what, guys, uh, since I talked to you yesterday, I've spoken with a couple teammates, and I know there were conversations with teammates. Uh, and Josh, you know, basically come out and say, I've thought more about it. Uh, I've heard what I've, uh, you know, I've absorbed what I've heard from other players. They've talked to me about their experiences. They've talked about the layers to this that I hadn't thought about. And you know what? I blew it. I completely screwed up and I'm terribly sorry. And, and uh, you know, and, and I'm, I, I want to talk to Tim or something along those lines. I was shocked that there wasn't some sort of mea culpa from Josh yesterday. How about you? Just wonder why. Yeah. Like what? Here, here's the thing, and and I don't I don't know if you've figured this out too as you've gotten older, but I, I've realized the easiest thing you can do is apologize. I know it feels hard to apologize sometimes. Uh, you know, even if you think you're right, even if you think what you did wasn't wrong. But if people are telling you what you did was wrong, then what you did was probably wrong. And saying I'm sorry to someone, no matter how you feel about him or her, it's vital. Josh Donaldson needs to understand that even if his intent was not ill, and and you know the the questions about that I think are reasonable because. Why do you take somebody's name like Jackie Robinson and use it in in what charitably could be seen as a smarmy fashion and and what reasonably could be seen as something with moral intent? But but let's just let's take him for his word here. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt, even if he doesn't deserve it and say that he was just doing it in a joking fashion. Sometimes people do things in a joking fashion and it's not a joke. And afterward, if you have hurt the person's feelings, if you have harmed your relationship, you do everything you can to go out and repair that. And step one in this situation is self-flagellation, public acknowledgement that I screwed up, that I did wrong to Tim, I did wrong to the Black community, I did wrong to the Chicago White Sox, I did wrong to the game of Major League Baseball, which I acknowledge struggles with these sorts of things because of a terrible history and and a present that simply is not where it should be. You know, Josh Donaldson can be a very well-spoken person, I think could have come out and, and really done a service to Tim Anderson and to the game of baseball by saying something. And you know what? still has the opportunity to do so. Uh, I'm always of the better late than never uh, thinking, but in this situation, I think it was a missed opportunity and hope that he rectifies it sooner than later. I had players say to me who were at Yankee Stadium on Saturday that they feel like there's a part of Josh who understood that he'd screwed up because when you see his Monty Grandal get in his face at home plate, was there a brawl right away? Was he swinging? He, he said nothing. He did nothing. He stood there and, and, and basically uh, just took what Grandal was saying and walked away. And in the eyes of other players, they're like, you know what? He, he knew that he probably went too far. Just, just acknowledge it. Say it. Move forward. Uh, I agree with you 100% in what you said about that. Um, today, the hearing for Trevor Bauer on his 324 game suspension will go before uh, it starts to go before an arbitrator. What do we look for here? I think this is going to be a pretty drawn out process, Buster, um, because it is so soon. We have to remember getting an arbitrator on the schedule is not necessarily an easy thing to do. So uh, there's a chance this thing is done piecemeal where you have a day here with a hearing, a day there with a hearing. But there's going to be a lot of evidence introduced. And Alton Gonzalez uh, has a really good piece of the SPN.com sort of laying out what the arbitration and grievance process looks like. And uh, what it is, is there is one neutrally selected arbitrator who can be fired at any time by Major League Baseball or the Players Association, who's going to rule on this. And the ruling is going to take uh, one of, of three shapes. It could be vacated, which means it's completely gone and Trevor Bauer is eligible to play right now. The likelihood of that, I would it's infinitesimal. Like that's just 
not going to happen. Uh, it could be upheld, which means Trevor Bauer spends the 324 games in suspension and his Dodgers contract runs out. Uh, or it could be reduced, which I think is probably the likeliest of the scenarios just because of precedent. When, when you look at a suspension as enormous as this one, typically huge suspensions find some kind of reduction. I don't know if it's going to be by half season. I don't know if it's going to be by a full season. Um, you know, Major League Baseball believes that it has a mountain of evidence against Trevor Bauer that goes well beyond the original accusations that came from the woman in San Diego uh, and includes multiple women. Trevor Bauer believes that this is a uh, shut and uh, closed case in which uh, he is being punished for his sexual preferences. And, it, you know, it's fascinating the, the completely divergent arguments that are going to be made here to see what side the arbitrator comes down on. Over the weekend, the number one prospect in baseball was promoted to the big leagues, and here's what it sounded like. What you're doing is playing. Like, don't go out there and do anything more than you have to. We're not looking for a hero. Be Adley Rutschman. Because the regular Adley Rutschman is playing. Right? You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Especially when you're going to Camden Yards and you're going to play in the big leagues for the first time. All right. Like, Pretty cool scene, Jeff. Really cool scene. I love these videos, by the way. I'm such a sucker for call-up videos. <laughs> they 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 almost remind me of um, it, it's like when a kid gets a scholarship and goes and tells his mom, "Hey, I'm going to school," and they catch it. I don't know. It just tugs at the heartstrings. And Adley, well. Look, uh, I mean, the heartstrings should have been tugged at like a month and a half ago. Adley Rushman probably could have, if not for a triceps injury, broken camp with the Orioles uh, on opening day. And uh, as as cool as that video was, did you see the standing ovation he got before he squatted behind the plate? And how? No, he did. Like th this was this was my favorite Adley Rushman moment of the weekend. So in the game in which he triples in his big league debut, he's out there. And, and catcher, I feel like, is a different position than anywhere else on the diamond because he's standing there uh, close to the backstop and fans start cheering before he's getting ready to squat and catch his first pitch. And his mask is still off and he does a pirouette like a full 360 he did what we always tell our kids to do. He took in the moment. He did what we so often fail to do. He, he looked around and tried to take a mental snapshot of one of the most incredible things he's ever going to get to do. And I, I appreciated that so much from him, like maturity beyond his years, trying to, to soak in this great thing that he's worked so hard for. That was, I think, the best moment of baseball over the weekend. One of the tougher moments uh, actually involved a Yankees reliever. Oh. Uh, Chad Green uh, gets the news that he needs Tommy John surgery and he's out for the year. <laughs> We're probably not going to see him toward the end of 2023. And it's interesting, Jeff, because I think part of the reason why the Yankees are where they are, uh, why to this point they've been the best team in baseball is because of how unbelievable that bullpen is. Uh, we talked on air last night about how going into play on Sunday, the Yankees had the second lowest bullpen ERA in all of baseball. Uh, and yet that whole group is, is right now is in a state of flux. Chad Green is out for the year. Aroldis Chapman is a mess. Gave up uh, a home run uh, to A.J. Pollock yesterday. It's, what, his fifth straight outing in which he's allowed at least one run I think it's pretty clear his job as closer is in jeopardy. Luis Heal is one of their best uh, pitching prospects. Guys had uh, a few tastes in the big leagues. He needs Tommy John surgery. He's out for the year. And Jonathan Lewisica, who was so dominant last year, he's a mess. His confidence is down. You could see that in, uh, in game two of the doubleheader against the White Sox yesterday. So one of the best parts, uh, best parts of any team in baseball is a mess.
let's say this, and let's just get this out of the way first. The Yankees are where they are because their rotation has been spectacular and has made every start. Like the Yankees have played 41 games this season. They have gotten 40 starts from Garrett Cole, Jameson Tyon, Nestor Cortez, Luis Severino, and Jordan Montgomery. And the highest ERA in that group is Jordan Montgomery at 3.35. It's not like these are unsustainable either because if you look at the fielding independent pitching numbers for all of them, they're all below three, seven. Like this is a rotation that is so much better than I know I was expecting. And just because the, the injury history with Tyon and Severino and Montgomery, uh, you know, you figured one of them was going to break down and Yankees fans, hold on. I have a wooden desk, <laughs> not jinxing you, not like not trying to blow up your spot here. You're off to a great start. Um, the the bullpen's interesting because as names have been phased out and Aroldis Chapman might be getting phased out and Chad Green's ulnar collateral ligament phased him out, we've had new names, Buster, come in and take those mantles, right? If Clay Holmes takes over as closer for the New York Yankees, is there a single Yankee fan out there who's going to say, this isn't what I want? No, everyone would love to see Clay Holmes pitching the ninth inning. Michael King's been spectacular uh, in this swing role that he's in. Wandy Peralta, uh, a guy who, like Nestor Cortez, has been sort of a middling stuff lefty who's never found his, his foothold, uh, is suddenly the Yankees' best bullpen option. Clark Schmidt, high, highly touted prospect for a long time, finally seems to be finding his role in the Yankees' bullpen. And then, oh, by the way, the one of the things that the Yankees have that behooves them really well, I think, is a deep farm system. Farm system depth matters in two areas. The first one is that if you have a bunch of guys who are, you know, on the cusp of the big leagues or, you know, sort of like middle grade prospects, one or two of them are going to stick. Right. Like you're going to have the, the more options you have, the more opportunity you have for success. Uh, and that dovetails with the second part of this. The more guys that other teams have to choose from in late June and early and late July during trade season, the likelier the Yankees are to be in the mix for relievers that they can go out and trade for. So uh, I think if Aaron Boone can patch together a reasonable bullpen over the next month or so, Brian Cashman's going to be in a position to really help him out at the trade deadline. And the Yankees, who have gotten off to just a stunning start, even with uh, the, the sweep Sunday against the White Sox, uh, they're going to be all right. As long as, and I say I say this again, I one more time, as long as they stay healthy, which they've done an incredible job of so far this season. So far this year, in your eyes, who's been the best player in baseball? Aaron oh. Judge, okay. Manny Machado, or other? Uh, Manny Machado. I, I don't think it's particularly close. Um, he's leading Major League Baseball uh, in wins above replacement. He's leading Major League Baseball in batting average. And I know everyone, you know, like... You can come to me and tell me batting average doesn't. No, batting average matters. I'm sorry. Maybe maybe this is like the 80s child in me looking at, at stats that uh, were important to me growing up. But batting average matters because you, you get on base getting a hit as well. Uh, you drive in runs getting hits. And the, the, the all-around player that Manny Machado is, it, it's not just the 374 average, the 446 on base, the 619 slug. He plays gold glove third base, and he's a very, very smart and savvy base runner, too. So to me, it's Manny Machado to this point and everyone else. Uh, up there with Judge, I'd, I'd throw in Mike Trout. Um, the, the offensive numbers from Trout are better, uh, 50 points higher on base. Uh, any play center field is, as opposed to right field. No disrespect to Aaron Judge, who's been phenomenal this year and whose contract drive here. Um, is reminiscent almost of his teammate, Garrett Cole, who went out and 
turned in one of the best pitching performances of a pending free agent all time. Aaron Judge is in an even different situation, though, because he turned down $213.5 million with, with the like the thing about Judge turning down the money for me, Buster, was how much upside does he have? Normally, the contracts you see guys turn down are in those, you know, first, second, third year before you hit arbitration, maybe as a one plus occasionally or as a as a three plus occasionally as a four plus Um you don't see many contract offers of that magnitude made to guys who are five pluses in the system where at six years you reach free agency. You saw it with Aaron Hicks. You saw it with Charlie Blackman. You saw it with Xander Bogarts. Those contracts aren't very common, though. I don't know that we, we see 200 plus million dollar contracts for five plus players uh, signed uh, particularly often. But uh, in Aaron Judge's case, the, the question was, how much more can he make? The, the answer is, Kylie McDaniel wrote on ESPN.com a couple of days ago, is if he keeps this up and stays healthy, plenty. You gave a hint uh, as to what your answer to the next question is going to be. Um, I agree with you about Machado, for sure. I mean, he's been the best player in baseball. At the time he signed with the Padres, I remember writing a column saying this was a terrible mistake and mostly the reason why I felt that at that time was because of the Padres' history with their payroll. The idea of giving $300 million to a player for what you know, a small market team, you thought going forward, they're going to have a financial crunch. The big question at that time was, you know, will Peter Seidler, the owner, be willing to spend money uh, you know, far over, far beyond where the Padres had spent before? But also to that point, you know, Manny Machado had been a really good player. He was known as being the best defender. Uh, I remember talking to Brooks Robinson about his defense at third base, and he was talking about how great that was. But offensively, he hadn't been great to that point. And I think that's what surprised me the most is uh, his growth as a player. And also you hear stories about his growth as a leader. He has clearly embraced that. We've talked about Bryce Harper on this podcast about how he has embraced everything about being the face of the Philadelphia Phillies. It seems like Manny Machado's done the same thing in San Diego. I think Manny Machado had a choice. Uh, either, yeah. you, either you grow up or this reputation that has saddled you for way too long ends up sinking you. And I, I don't know that Manny Machado's talent ever was going to be sunk by this, but, uh, you know, there's a way to live your baseball life uh, that includes growing up and, and turning into something that you might not have been when you, went, when you were in your 20s, which Buster sounds a lot like life and sounds a lot yeah. like the same decision that people have to make in the real world, right? And, and Manny Machado understanding that and recognizing that uh, and and seeing his place as a leader on the San Diego Padres, Fernando Tatis, for all of his brilliant talent and all the wonderful things that he can do on the baseball field, is not that guy yet. And and when you're given three hundred forty million dollars uh, in your early twenties and you have to go out there and perform, having a steady hand alongside you to help guide you and make the right decisions and act in the right way is is a pretty important thing and we see fernando tatis jr has missed the first month and a half two months of the season uh and it probably isn't going to be back until at earliest the end of june uh because he made a dumb decision went out and rode his motorcycle and broke his wrist and uh, this is not to say manny machado uh is going to be the crotch rocket police from now on but i think manny machado has has gotten in tatis's ear about hey kid um you have a chance to be one of the best players in baseball history. You are certainly among the most talented. Don't screw it up. Uh, look at where I am right now because I've taken good care of my body because I've continued to work because this is important to me. And I think Manny Machado's numbers right now might be, you know, as, as much as they're inspiring Tatis because the team is winning without him, uh, it, it's almost like, Tatis looks at himself as the, the face of this franchise, even if he's not the leader in the clubhouse. And Manny Machado is suddenly taking away a little bit of market share there. And I, I think Tatis is going to come back and look at this and, frankly, be inspired by the whole thing. And, and we'll see 
just how much better the San Diego Padres can get, Buster, because they've been pretty darn good so far. They are more than holding their own in a very, very difficult National League West division. Yeah, it'll be a nice, healthy internal competition between sure. those two guys after he comes back. All right, sir. Thanks, Jeff. Pleasure's mine, Buster. Thanks for having me. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter and producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing this week? I'm doing great. How are you, Buster? I'm still recovering from yesterday's doubleheader. You were up late like I was working on Sunday Night Baseball, but, man, that that was a crazy game. That really was. I mean, so much energy, so much excitement. And, hey, for a doubleheader Sunday Night Baseball, we don't know when our game is going to start because it's the second game of doubleheader. <laughs> that actually ended up working out really well. We started right on time. So little inside baseball for everybody, but that was also nice. All right. I'm going to make you manager of the Yankees. You're going to be taking over the job from your friend, Aaron Boone. Uh, uh, who's your closer today? And what's oh your gosh. explanation? I It can't be a role this shot. And I just think, you know, they were talking after the game about uh, the fact that he's been dealing with an Achilles injury and that it was bothering him yesterday. We've seen this. And, you know, if you look at what a role this Chapman has done over the last few years, he hasn't quite been that nails lights out or old as Chapman. We know how fans are. I think Yankees fans are always stressed out when he comes into the game. I mean, maybe it's Clay Holmes. I, I'm not entirely sure. I think if we were having this conversation last year, I would have told you it's going to be Jonathan Loiska. But we've seen this year that his results haven't exactly been there. So it's an interesting question, but it's one that Booney certainly has to deal with now. And not you, right? There you go. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is one. So speaking of the Yankees, they were shut out in the second game of the doubleheader last night on Sunday at Baseball after being held to just one run on the Aaron Judge homer in the first game. It was the first time the Yankees had been held to one or no runs in a doubleheader across both games since September of 2014, but this is what was crazy to me. Before that, it hadn't happened since August 13, 1991. So this is not a thing that happens. Yes, it's sort of random. We know the Yankees have a ton of sluggers. Not a lot of those guys. Not everyone was playing in the second game. It was a little bit of a minor league lineup, kind of toward the bottom. 
But regardless, this is not a thing that happens to Yankees offense much. Number two. Number two is 12. So speaking a little bit more about that doubleheader, Johnny Cueto came out with another scoreless outing for the White Sox in game one. And, you know, this Johnny Cueto resurgence, return to the majors, everything else has been really fun to watch. Obviously, they signed him to a minor league deal after dealing with some injuries early in the season. Been on the Giants last year, wasn't anywhere in spring training. He's up to 12 consecutive scoreless innings pitch to start his White Sox career, which is the third longest streak by a White Sox starter since 1974. So he's chasing Ken Brett in 1976 and Jack McDowell in 1987. The number to beat to beat Brett is 17 straight innings pitch. So if he does that, his next start comes out with five scoreless. He could be atop this list, and he's such a joy to watch. So it's just great to see that happening and him getting the results. Number one. Number one is we'll go with six and 16. So I just want to bring some numbers about how the Dodgers have been in close games the last two years because we know the Dodgers are really good. We know they have great pitching overall, maybe some injuries, but overall great pitching. We know that they have really great hitting. But one thing they have not been great in in the last two years is close games. So the 6-16, and that's their record in extra inning games since the start of last season. And of course, yesterday they lost with the Max Muncy error against the Phillies in 10 innings. So in that span, they're 125-52 and in nine inning games. That's a 706 win percentage. That's the Dodgers. In extra inning games, six and 16. That's 273. And if we also look at one run games, of course, yesterday was a 4 3 loss. 27 and 27, right at 500 in one run games. In games where they are, where there's a five plus run differential. So winning or losing by. 46 and 13, 780. So when there's a lot of runs involved on either side, they're doing really well. But one run games, these close games, it's just not going for them. New closer this year, different setup, but these results are continuing. So I watched Johnny Cueto start with uh, Eduardo Perez. We were in the in the in the press box at Yankee Stadium. And he talked about how he was surprised that other teams didn't bid on Cueto. You know, two years past Tommy John surgery. And uh, you have this dynamic in place in baseball now where you have so many hard throwers. And so that funky guy, you're the Rich Hill thrown from the side, the you know, Nestor Cortez doing all of his stuff, Cueto doing all of his stuff. Those guys are outliers. They're the pitchers that nobody's used to. And you could see that with Aaron Judge and his at-bats. Eduardo was laughing. He was like, he was like, Aaron Judge doesn't know when to get his foot down with that leg kick. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I remember watching his first start against the Royals last week, and they were totally off balance. And it was so funny because Jason Minetti and Gordon Beckham were kind of talking about that. You know, he's not coming out, and he barely touched 90 or 92, and yet it was working for him. And you're watching, kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop, but to your point, it's probably not going to for a while because it's so outside of the norm these days. Yeah. Think about all the preparation you hear about from hitters these days to hit high velocity, right? They're in cages. They're working with their personal hitting coaches in the mornings of games. They're uh, going back out batting practice. Everything is high velocity, high velocity, how to get to the fastball. And here comes Johnny Cueto with the shake and his shimmy and his, <laughs> and his change. And by the way, when I first started covering baseball a million years ago, you saw more of that. Like you had all these specialist relievers, right-hander, you know, who come in for one guy, left-hander, Mike McNante, for example. You remember him with the Oakland Athletics. Those guys you saw every day in games, and now you really don't uh, because of how teams you know, uh, pursue velo velocity and, and use velocity. All right, Sarah, great to talk with you. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a glorious 
Monday. And first up, we have Debbie Gammons Brown, and she wants to gloat a little bit. She writes in, just want to point out that the Red Sox are surging. Ever since the knife twisting incident, Taylor, you and Buster can feel free to continue reverse jinxing my team with your sell off talk and cruel sound bites on the pod. Wait a second, Debbie. How did I get looped into this? And Sarah <laughs> will back me up on this. I should not be lumped in with Taylor and what he pulled on the pod last week. You know, I can I can stand with you on that, Buster. That was all Taylor, his glorious work. But we have to thank him. As you were saying, Debbie, I think he might have reverse jinxed you. They're <laughs> starting to figure it out, it seems. Uh, Chief Beef at Carl Havoc writing in uh, to do the same here. I'd also roping you and Buster. He says this is going to be Buster and Hembo tomorrow on the Baseball Night podcast because the Red Sox are awakening and it's a picture of a, a sad, frowning child. Um, so oh again, God. I, you know what? I think it is, though, Buster. I think they're upset that you, uh, you know, pushed all this trade talk. Um, and now it doesn't, you know, they're I, I wouldn't say they're turning it around yet. It's, it was one weekend. Relax. I forgot. Know. I hate all 30 teams. Yes. Yeah, we hate the Red Sox. Today. <laughs> Golf Life Rag writes in with Sunday Night Baseball not having been to U.S. Cellular slash guaranteed rate field since 13, with the exception of canceled Cub Series in 20. What matchup will finally get Buster back on the south side? So many untold stories. Oh, I guess we hate the White Sox today, too. Yeah, I know. We just talked the White Sox a bunch last night. Like we, <laughs> Yeah, okay. No one's happy. Uh, last one today, our guy Reggie at Baseball Yoda Weather writes in, Buster, we have no managerial firings yet. Who is on the hottest chair right now? The managers of the Phillies, the Mariners, Red Sox, Royals, or someone else. Also, is it just me or the Orioles now more watchable than the Nationals? There's no debate on that last point. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that, right? Uh, yeah, with Juan Soto struggling, and, you know, us all anticipating at some point that whether it's Soto's involved or not, the Nationals are going to do a sell-off. The Orioles now having promoted the number one prospect in baseball, they are more watchable. Yeah, I, I, you know, we have hit the clicker here in the days ahead. It'll be to watch Adley hit, that's for sure. In terms of managerial, managers on the hot seat, I don't think that any of the four teams you mentioned uh, potentially could uh, see a manager change in season. Alex Cora is not going anywhere. Uh, I think Mike Matheny, you know, play in an organization where Dayton Moore leads, they're not going to fire him. Scott Service has a great relationship with the front office. I do think, and I, you know, ask writers who cover the Phillies and know this far better than I do uh, about Joe Girardi. And what I got back was, you know what, his contract expires at the end of the year. This year's kind of a, it's a litmus test for him, right? If they make the playoffs, then he probably stays. And if they don't make the playoffs, then they'll probably make a change. That's it yeah. for today. My thanks to Jeff, Sarah, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.